1: I'm Damian Bulwa, Managing Editor of the San Francisco Chronicle. Today on Fifth and Mission, California's wildfire season breaks out in horrific fashion. Amid a pandemic and a heat wave, numerous fires sparked by lightning are burning this week, leaving behind ruined homes, mass evacuations, and smoky skies. To get up to speed, we're going to go around the horn to four Chronicle reporters who've been covering the fires to try to answer some key questions. How do you evacuate under shelter-in-place orders? How unhealthy is the air? Why are firefighters being stretched so thin? And what are the impacts to California's wineries and their workers? Let's start with reporter Joaquin Palomino. Joaquin, uh, thanks for joining me. We have been talking a lot in recent years, and you've been reporting about the resource issue in California, where in some of the biggest fires— some of the local commanders weren't able to get everything they needed in terms of whether it's airplanes or personnel or, or engines. And again, that was an issue on Wednesday as these fires spread, right?
2: Yeah. So, um, I've been covering California's mutual aid system now, you know, over the past several years, uh, focusing on how it sort of responded to these big fires. Um, and so the way the system works is in these big fires, like the wine country fire, like the campfire, uh, the fires in Southern California in 2018, uh, it's really beyond the ability for local fire departments to respond. So they turn to the statewide system to get resources from first nearby counties, then across the state uh, to really help them sort of deal with evacuations, but also fight the fires. And so what we found is over the years, a, a lot of these requests for help have just gone unfilled. There's just not enough resources to sort of get them through. Or, or there's not enough resources to go around. Uh, and, and it leaves people really on their own to deal with these mega massive fires.
1: Yeah. The idea is you you flood the zone, right? But this morning, one of the first things we heard, and I'm talking about Wednesday morning, was from a commander in the Santa Cruz Mountains area saying that he was having to keep people on for a double shift and he couldn't get as many resources as he wanted. And it was dangerous for his crews and it was dangerous for the residents as well. So, um, you know, where's the disconnect? Is it, um, you know, have they tried to fill this gap and what happened this morning?
2: Yeah. So right now, I mean, what what's going on is you have these fires that really are unprecedented um, and and they're oftentimes burning in multiple parts of the state. So, you know, say you have a fire in Northern California, a big one in Northern California and Southern California at the same time. Um, you know, historically agencies would be able to send resources, uh, you know, to that, one of those incidents, let's say, um, without worrying about something going on at, at home base as they, they'll call it. Uh, but right now in a lot of cases, they just don't have, the resources to sort of free up to send them there, so it leaves a lot of local fire departments on their own um There's been a lot of legislation to try and address this the st- states trying to sort of build up uh, resources so that there's more to go around during these incidents but um you know right now it's 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 from what we're hearing from commanders you know in this current incident where you have literally hundreds or is it thousands of fires burning across the state all at once uh many of which are major incidents it, it can become really hard to actually just move these resources around because everyone is dealing with things in their own area as well
1: yeah and it's such a feature of lightning fires right because you have a lightning storm and the the lightning hits over and over dry lightning in these areas and you know there's sort of no way of 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 controlling how many fire strikes you have but you i think you reported that they are trying to look out of state right
2: yeah. So right now they've expanded out of state as they as the state normally does in these sort of mega fires. Um, so they're starting to pull in resources now from Western states. If they, you know, tap out those resources, they expand them to, you know, all over the country and, and sometimes all over the world. Um, and I mean, it really goes to show how much how many resources are really needed to combat these fires. And, and you know, right now, or at least in the early hours, it's typically to deal with evacuations um you know get people out and then later on it's to try and you know build perimeters and 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 really stop the fire from spreading
1: so what did governor newsom say today about it and and is there a long-term solution other than you know just building up the resources
2: um yeah so governor newsom i mean he acknowledged that right now the system i mean it's functioning as it should but they really have no control over what um what counties are sending to help other counties, right? I mean, it's it's sort of a tough position to put one county in to say, hey, can you send resources to help me battle this one fire when there's these really dangerous fire conditions everywhere? Um, so he said, you know, the system is operating as it, as it should be, that the mutual aid system has been sort of praised in the past as one of the better in the country uh, a, as a model. It's just that the scale, the scope, the number of fires in recent years has really made it hard to get people where they need to be. And then throw on top of that the pandemic where you're already thinning out sort of the number of people who are available to fight fires. Um, you know, there's a lot of inmate firefighting crews and, and, and some of those aren't available right now. And, and Newsom, I know, is pushed to sort of hire to fill in some of those vacancies and, and address that. But I me mean, really dealing with all sorts of things coming together at once.
1: Yeah. Wow. What a picture. All right, Joaquin. Thanks. We'll uh, talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Damien. Next up, let's talk to Tricia Thadani, who uh, is also a reporter at The Chronicle and has been writing about the, the unique aspect of evacuating, and it was tens of thousands of people right? in the middle of a pandemic, and we always wondered how this would go. And here we are with the test case. How, do, how does this work?
3: Yeah, so obviously legislators and experts and residents of fire-prone areas have been really worried about this since the pandemic uh, first hit in March. Um, I spoke to the Red Cross today and they were talking about some of the logistics that they need to think about. Um, for one, you know, ideally over like they don't really want to go to overnight shelters, which is what you would normally do in a wildfire. Um, so instead they're turning to hotels, dorm rooms or encouraging people to go uh, stay with family and friends um, who aren't high risk for the virus.
1: Yeah, but in the past, there's been some. These fires have been so big that they've filled up. I think in the a few years ago, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was dozens of of shelters. Um, are there enough hotel rooms to get this done?
3: Right. So that's the question now, and we weren't able to get a straight answer on that um, today. But you know, so far, I just called the Red Cross um, about half an hour ago this uh, afternoon, and she said that they had had not opened up any overnight shelters yet. Um, Now that can change. uh, And it's also possible that counties themselves have opened up shelters. Um, But, you know, the general sense that I got is that these things that were typically the first thing that would open during a wildfire for evacuees is now the last resort.
1: Yeah. And you write about this, this tension out there, right, between the risks associated with it, and and a really interesting quote from from an expert talking about how let's remember that the 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 risk of of, of a contagious virus COVID nineteen is not on the level of of you know a wildfire and getting burned.
3: Right, and yeah, and he was clear is that there's no way that you can make this risk zero. Something here has kind of got to give, but he said, you know the virus is something you might be able to overcome, where if you get overtaken by a wildfire, you're not going to have as good of a chance.
1: Patricia, some people did go to shelters today, right?
3: Yeah. And so my my colleague, Dustin, uh, he was up in Vacaville today and he spoke to someone where there was an option for him to go inside. Now, it wasn't an option for him to stay the night at that point. But, you know, it was miserably hot outside and he was making the decision to not go inside the shelter because he said he's a 72-year-old man and if he gets this virus, he said that I'm going to be a goner. So he, you know, was choosing to stay outside and now, you know, it's unclear what uh, this man will do at night, but it doesn't seem like there's many good options for him, unfortunately.
1: It just seems to go to this incredible moment we're in in California where, you know, you have a pandemic and then a heat wave, uh, you know, trouble with our power and then a flurry of wildfires and it's hard to know what to do.
3: Yeah. I mean, with, you know, you put it perfectly and, you know, given all of those things and these compounding crises, I mean, this is definitely has amounted to one of the greatest tests of the state's emergency response system in, in recent history. I mean, I can't think of, of another time where it would be tested to this extent.
1: Well, I, I know you'll be following how it goes, and we'll come back to you later to see if, if people were able to be evacuated and, and socially distanced. Tricia, thanks again.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: Let's take a quick break. When we come back, more from our reporters about the wildfire crisis that exploded this week in California.
2: We'll be right back after a short break. You can support 5th in Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod.
1: Welcome back. This is 5th in Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa, and I'm talking to reporters from the Chronicle who've been writing about the wildfires this week that are going on all over the Bay Area. Ideen Vaziri is my next guest. Ideen, you've been writing about the smoke impacts yet again in the last few years. You know, we've had these days where we're blanketed with smoke um, based on the wind patterns and what have you, ashes falling on cars. What do people know about What do people need to know about the health impacts?
4: Well, the smoke is basically like secondhand cigarette smoke. It has particles in it that are very toxic and unhealthy. And really, all the experts are urging people to stay inside, make sure their windows and doors are closed, everything sealed up, because it can be very detrimental to your health to breathe this stuff in.
1: And obviously we're already dealing with the pandemic COVID-19 affects your lungs. Um, what are, what are experts saying about the combination there?
4: So, you know, the, the coronavirus is still new and they haven't really done studies with the, its correlation to uh, wildfire smoke, but we know that it attacks your, your, as you mentioned, your lungs and your immune system. And, Um, these particles that the smoke generates can cause, can get into your lungs and cause inflammation. So if anyone is already suffering from the effects of COVID-19, even if it's a mild case, this smoke could make it, exposure to the smoke could make it much worse.
1: But here you have people who are in the middle of a heat wave and and their houses might be roasting. They might want to get outside. Their kids are on work, you know, school from home. I mean, what a time to be telling people they have another restriction.
4: It's, it's really the worst possible timing. It's just one thing piling on top of another in an odd way though. I will say this. Um, it may bring down our coronavirus rates because people will be forced to kind of follow those guidelines of staying at home unless they really need to be out. Um, So if, I mean, it's beautiful outside and I imagine this is a day most people would be out at a park or at the beach if they, if the, you know, if the air was clear. So in a way it could actually drive down our coronavirus numbers if people are forced to stay at home, if they're forced to wear N95 masks when they go out, if they're taking these precautions that we were supposed to take this whole time, that could be the one beneficial effect to come out of it.
1: Wow. Yeah. You know, I live in the North Bay and it's sort of raining ash here and it's all over the cars. And if you open the the door, then it starts kind of raining in the house. I wonder about masks. Um, you know, in the past during wildfires, even chronicle reporters have worn the N95 masks because of the partic- the, the big particular matter keeping it out of your lungs. Um, but we don't have a lot of those masks anymore, right?
4: Right. And those are the only masks that are effective against smoke. So the cloth masks and the surgical masks that we've been wearing for the coronavirus do not do any good with this. They don't keep the smoke particles out. So yeah, if you have any N95s stored, uh, just keep them clean and use them. Don't leave the house unless you really have to. And even with the N95s, um, I'm being told that they only protect you know, they only keep 95% of the of the part, particles out. So you're still getting 5% in. So it's not a good time to go jogging with an N95 mask on. It's not a good time to be doing yoga in the park or anything like that. The mask is really not going to protect you. Um, really, the best thing you can do is stay home.
1: Lastly, you spoke to a doctor just about, you know, the impacts, what people are feeling, what they should do if they don't feel well.
4: Mm-hmm. That's the important thing is they do want people to come in if, you know, you have asthma or if you have any kind of breathing issues, or if you do have to go leave your house and you're exposed to smoke and you, something doesn't feel right, they really do want people to come into the hospitals. Um, hospitals have been set up for this now with, uh, with COVID-19, they've been prepared for respiratory issues, so they're safe. And they don't want people to come in when it's too late. They want people to come in right when they feel something is not right. Um, And it's super important that people do that. So, um, yeah, make sure you get to the hospital if you're not okay.
1: Yeah, and and stay socially distant, I imagine, still when you go to the hospital. Exactly.
4: Follow all the rules. Wash your hands, wear a mask, all that stuff. Yes.
1: What a time. All right. Thanks. thanks for coming on. Thank
4: you. Stay safe.
1: My next guest is Esther Mobley, uh, who writes about wine for us. Esther, thanks for, for joining me. Um, let's let's talk about uh, impacts to the wine industry. It's already been kind of a tough year, and these fires were not only in the Napa Hills, but also in the Santa Cruz Mountains, the obviously has a lot of, of wineries. First off, what about the workers? You've already been writing about agricultural workers working uh, amid COVID-19, and now uh, smoke as well. What's going on?
0: It's a big problem. Um, Yeah, farm workers were already going to have to face a lot of difficult safety decisions surrounding COVID, spacing themselves out, working in pods, and um, working in the midst of strong wildfire smoke is, of course, not pleasant and potentially also really unhealthy. So right now is when a lot of uh, vineyards, grapes are needing to come off the vines and be picked. And I spoke to a number of growers this morning who said they were delaying those picks because of uh, health concerns for their workers. Didn't want them to have to be outside all day. In the smoke? Correct, yeah.
1: Okay. What about damage? Um, you know, there's a lot of vineyards and some some wineries, I know in those areas in and around Bonnie Dune, which is in Santa Cruz Mountains area, and also up in those Napa Hills, uh, but, but in the past, Wineries have been able to avoid some of the biggest damage. Uh, what about this time?
0: Yeah, we don't really know the full extent yet. The fires are still going, and a lot of the properties that um, are have already been in the line of fire, in many cases, the owners haven't been back. So I was speaking, for instance, with the owner of uh, Big Basin Vineyards in Boulder Creek in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and he had had to evacuate on Tuesday night from his property. He thinks it's spared, but um, he can't be sure. He's just been kind of following along on maps and what a scary thing. Um, But so far we don't know of any wineries that themselves have burned. One winery in the kind of Eastern uh, hills of Napa County in an area called Child's Valley, Nicolini Winery. Um, The fire came to their property and uh, one home on the property burned that belonged to a family member, but the winery itself is okay so uh, is the kind of main family home and the grapevines. Same with two other wineries in uh, their neighbors, Brown Estate and Summerston Estate. The fire came to the properties and they know that the kind of perimeters were scorched, but uh, right now no substantial damage and no no injuries uh, to people that we know of either.
1: And remind me—I think you've written that the vineyards sometimes act as as buffers, right? They they don't tend to burn. We we—I think a few years ago when the fire started, we thought, oh my gosh, it's going to rip through those 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 fields, but but they don't.
0: We really saw the effect of vineyards as fire breaks during last year's Kincaid Fire in the Alexander Valley in Sonoma County. Um, vines are essentially these these. Uh, wells of standing water. They're living plants coursing with water. And um, as long as they're green and there's a lot of uh, chlorophyll in those leaves, you can count on them in many cases being firebreak. They're usually groomed and there's not a lot of excessive brush going on. Um, same thing, funny enough, the, the winemaker at Summerston estate in Charles Valley was telling me that, um, they have 600 sheep on the property that are just constantly grazing and he credits them with being the most effective firefighters because they have gotten rid of all the brush and extra grass that might've caught fire. Ah, oh, nice. Okay.
1: <laughs> Finally, Esther, what about the harvest? Um, you know, I, I, you've used the word smoke taint in the past, um, what do we expect there? Is that a real issue? It's
0: kind of like a perfect storm of everything. I mean, COVID was has already been its own problem economically, safety wise. We've got we had these massive heat events in the last week that um, are really bad for the grapes this time of year. You they kind of dehydrate, desiccate the grapes. The rain and all the humidity is a problem for mold. We've got the wildfires. And then, yeah, smoke taint is this big problem. When wildfire smoke lingers in the air for a long time, we know that it can infect the grapes themselves with these compounds that then make the wine taste really smoky, not in a good way. Sometimes wines can taste smoky in a pleasant way, but this is like an ashtray. And uh, they ruin the crop. And in 2017, a lot of growers had to completely throw out their grapes because they were unusable. So, um we don't really know, you know, what's the extent of that. It really depends on like how the wind moves. If, if, if it's kind of like this pool of smoke for a long time, some people say you need a full 10 days of smoky air for there to be a problem. A lot of people doubt that. So totally too soon to tell whether that's going to be an issue or not. Um, but man, it's like these poor wine growers just cannot catch a break. (laughs)
1: Yeah, year after year. Yeah. All right, Esther, thanks thanks for coming in.
0: Thank you, Damien.
1: For all the Chronicles coverage of this week's fires, including maps and guides on how to stay safe, go to sfchronicle.com slash wildfires. Thanks to my guests today, Esther Mobley, Aden Vaziri, Joaquin Palomino, and Trisha Thadani, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.